Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast, where I talk to developers who are also business owners of one form or another, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you are a developer who wants to get into business, or if you are already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show has some value for you. This is episode 24 with Dominic Mott. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us, and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Dominic Mann. Dominic is a machine learning engineer and product founder from Zurich, Switzerland. He has created a number of products focused around communities, including MentorCruise, a mentorship resource, Remote ML, a remote machine learning community, and Introvert, an online billboard for communities. Dominic, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, I'd love to chat with you about all sorts of stuff, um, including what you've built, uh, these community resources you've built. And also, I'd like to touch on um, your kind of your knowledge base around metrics, um, something I think that a lot of would-be startup founders or those interested in doing, you know, indie hacker-ish type projects maybe don't put a lot of consideration towards um, and why, you know, it's, it's, it's important to do. But um, maybe before we get there, tell me about some of these products you've got, like Mentor Cruise, Remote ML, and Introverts. Uh, what's the backstory there? Yeah. Um, yeah, there are quite a few now these days. Um, but the, the very first one was Mentor Cruise, which I started in, in 2018. Um, and the backstory is actually quite nice. Um, I'm pretty much self-taught um, as a software de developer. Um, and one resource I used there was Udacity. Um, and they have kind of this mentorship side, but of course only once you, you buy their course and kind of go through the course. Um, but kind of throughout my education, I did apprenticeships, I did internships, I did that course. I always had a mentor there. Um, and a mentor is really somebody who is able to guide you, who kind of knows your backstory and is able to um, give you the next steps, um, quite personal and one-on-one. Um, and I was looking for this. Um, and once you're you're kind of out of school, once you're out of any apprenticeships, and you're you're out in the world, it's really hard to find a mentor. You can you know you can go to socials and and ask um, people to help you and everything. But kind of this formal mentorship is something quite special. Um, and there wasn't really anything for that out there. Um, so yeah, I decided to build something. Um, pretty much during my three hour commute um, 
So during like these little gap hours and um, on the commute itself, um, and I was building like this super overblown MVP for a marketplace for mentorship, um, which basically means that you have mentors in the marketplace, you filter, you search what you're looking for, um, you apply to a mentor and then you sign up. Um, sometimes for free, sometimes um, for a little payment, but definitely less than let's say a freelancer. And yeah, that was you know two years ago. Um, and today there are about 4,000 uh, people signed up on the website. There are 200 mentors um, kind of, you know, providing mentorship from anything from free to $200 per month um, with kind of the, the middle ground at $100 per month. So yeah, you can get some somebody in the boat with you um, on your path to reaching your goals for a hundred bucks per month, which kind of seem, still seems pretty magical to me. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of went uh, from there. Um, I just really, really like starting new stuff and building new things. Um, so I kind of got into this habit of trying things out, building like a super, super small MVP, uh, different from my first project. Um, for example, Introvert, I built in, in a week or two um, oh, wow. and just launched it out there um, and see what people think. Um, and like that, yeah, I was able to, to build quite a few projects. I think we're kind of nearing a dozen maybe now a lot of them are already shut down but a lot of them are also active um, and just kind of reiterating building something new seeing how people react that's great and that's uh, maybe a style uh, that is I, I suppose contrary to the way that some uh, founders would approach things where you know some would say wait until you've got something that you're you know super sure is going to be sizable and, and it's going to be big and then you're going to work on that and just that only and, and put all of your focus on it whereas you are focusing on a lot of different products at the same time um is does that just is that maybe a part of your personality and your curiosity for different areas or is that a strategy almost for you uh to try many different things to see what sticks almost yeah, I think a little bit of both, and I can also definitely see both sides. Um, for mentor crews, I think, you know, the first three, four months, nothing really happened, but I kind of wasn't in the habit of creating new things back then. Um, but today, you know, if after four months I'm not, not really getting any traction, I would shut it down and kill it. Um, and kind of through iteration, I was able to build something um, that has grown to what it's today. Um, but that, on the other hand, um, if you're kind of a curious builder and you have the skills to, you know, build something very quickly and publish it, um, you can really test a lot of different ideas in a very short time. And I think, you know, concentrating on one thing is, is great um, and kind of, you know, concentrating only on that and trying to grow that with a bunch of different strategies. Um, but if you're um, more excited about um, building something new and trying different things out, then, you know, seeing in a very, very short time what sticks and what doesn't stick is a very kind of good way of diversifying your, your focus, kind of trying out different things. And, you know, if one of my apps goes down um, or, you know, doesn't take off, uh, I still have all these other ideas to work on that I'm equally mm -hmm. as excited about. If you're putting years and years and years on the, in the same thing, and it just doesn't take off. You need to kind of take that very difficult decision after some time to kill it, and then you're left with nothing. Mm -hmm. And what I see often is that people put a lot, a lot of effort into, into their kind of one thing. And when it doesn't take off, they really don't want to see it, and they keep pushing and they keep pushing. And the end, you know, you waste five years on something yeah. and you're left without anything. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, you know, having a diverse investment portfolio, right? right. If you yeah. know, one of the investments goes south, then you've still got lots of others to rely on. Um, that's right. What, what are your thoughts? Because one thing I, I worry about with your approach, and, and I like your approach, like that's, that's kind of where I gravitate towards as well, like trying many different things. But one thing I've always worried about is like the the fact that you've got to split your attention between those things and that maybe maybe there isn't enough bandwidth, personal bandwidth yeah. to put enough energy, effort, whatever into each of them. Do you, is that a, has that been an issue for you at all? Or, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of deal with that kind of reality that we only have so much bandwidth in a day? Yeah, um, it's a big worry and I don't really have an end solution for it. Um, one thing that, that 
I'm very in the habit of this kind of hyper planning mm. um, my day. So I have kind of all the backlogs of all my projects. Um, I sit down at every evening and I plan my next day. Um, and I'm trying to get, I'm kind of experimenting with that, but I'm trying to get one piece of every project kind of in there. Um, you know, even if it's just like a little bug fix or, you know, writing a blog post or something like that, just pushing it a little forward. Um, sometimes I'm experimenting with kind of project days. So on one day I might just, you know, get a bunch of tasks done for one of the projects and concentrate on the next one on the next day. Um, but obviously you're kind of at a disadvantage always um, if you do that, because if you have a competitor and a competitor works on that project every day, they're likely to do more project, uh, more progress than what you're doing, kind of concentrating one day on it or kind of splitting your days. Um, so I think as a project grows, you need to kind of put more focus on those projects just so that they don't get left behind. Mm -hmm. And in the end, you have paying customers that you need to serve and you need to invest the time, um, you know, that they um, kind of want you to. Um, but if you're testing out a lot of different things, um, I don't think that's a big worry because um, different projects can, um, if, if, for example, I build a blog for uh, Mentor Cruise, I just, you know, build one from scratch and that blog I'm reusing on every other app now. Right. So. If you you know if you build one project, there's a big big um, yeah there's a big chance that you're able to use those findings, those learnings, and even sometimes those code components in other projects too. Um, so if you're just trying to test out things and you're um, not really trying to grow it, um, I think that's a really good strategy. And obviously, you know, as a as a project grows, like Mentor Cruise. I'm putting a lot more time into Mentor Cruise than all my other projects, for example, mm. just because it's growing. There's a, a customer base, there's support requests coming in, there's new chances that open up. Um, so I think as something grows, you need to put more time into it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're going to chat about metrics. Uh, one thing that I mm -hmm. would love to chat about first, though, is you mentioned that you kind of your process now is, you know, do a quick MVP. Maybe it takes a week, put it out there, see if there's interest. What is what's your uh, approach to gauging whether people are interested uh, in, in that product? Do you have any particular kind of strategies that you use? Any any forums in particular that you use to get the word out about your product? And I guess how do you how do you sort of tell, how do you measure whether people are interested in it enough so that you should continue down that path? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So it always depends on the idea, of course. Um, first of all, to, to kind of find out whether there's interest, usually for me it's revenue. Mm -hmm. So I build something like super, super small, kind of instead of an MVP, I'm looking for the minimal monetizable um, project that I can put out. Um, so you know if there's revenue coming in obviously there's interest um and usually what my my process is i'm building a landing page um usually do a demo um and if it's a small product then i'm going to build the product functionality in that but i've, I've had some um projects that i did where i didn't do that so just had to demo and landing page and kind of a sign up form um and in other case for example introvert i built the whole thing in two weeks like super scrappy and started onboarding people on it um, so if you can build the functionality to a point where people might pay for it, I would definitely look for revenue. Um, if you're at a point where you can just do like a clickable prototype and then record a demo on that, I think I would look for um, kind of signups um, and mailing lists. Yep. And one thing that I found is um, you don't want to kind of say, oh, this is pre-alpha give me your email address and I'll notify you. Hmm. Um, what you would want to do to really see if there's interest is go through kind of the whole thing and build a sign-up form, which you know says, um, what's your name, what's your email, um, what's your password, which company do you work at, what size of the right. company do you use? And then at the end, you can always say, hey, I'm going to reach back out to onboard you personally. And then you can you know send them an email and see what are they really looking for. Um, that's really kind of a nice way of, of also building the product. Yep. Um, and as for getting people on there, you should just build a really, really great landing page. Um, possibly you would want to talk to people before you build the landing page, but the landing page should really outline what the problem is and how you're going to solve it and at which price. 
Um, and then you can go to wherever your your target audience is. So you know that might be something like indie hackers or product hunt. Right. Um, more often than that, it's um, you know LinkedIn. You reach yeah. out to people and say, "Hey, do you have that problem?" Um, you might get a few emails over AngelList, and then you email those directly. And then it goes you know a little bit into sales. Mm. Um, but for example, for mentor crews, that isn't really a B two B thing. Um, it's B2C and there you can't really do sales as much. So what I did was just put up a landing page um, because I was looking for mentors at the beginning, put up a landing page, write a ton of people on Twitter, direct them towards the landing page, get their email. Um, and then, you know, when people, when a hundred people give you their emails, there's definitely interest and you can yeah. go and build that product. Gotcha. Okay. So, and something I've been curious about too is like, you know, for you and I, who are developers, and we have our communities around us, our communities of developers usually, it's it's perhaps natural to build products for those types of communities, and and perhaps easy to get some attention towards a product that we build uh, if we're building it for that community. But what if you're a developer who maybe has like knowledge in another area that's completely unrelated, and you want to build a product for like, you know car sales people or insurance people or something like that what's is there is there anything you'd recommend to kind of sense whether there's traction for your product when you don't have as much maybe immediate access to to those communities and what i'm thinking of in particular is like you know it's easy to put something out on twitter and have like the developers that are on twitter see it and sort of flock to it if it's of interest but twitter but the developer community i think is a little bit uh, special in that way online because you know people have interest in these things and they they want to be always you know uh, getting the latest on what's happening in this type of thing, but maybe it's different in other sorts of industries. So anyway, any any thoughts on that? What you might recommend? Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, um, I think that's great if somebody you know is a coder or a software engineer and has you know a, a good interest or. Um, a hobby in like a very different niche. That's kind of the a, a very good blueprint to building a good product because you have knowledge of something that isn't related to software at all. And you as a software engineer have the insight to know um, how to build something for that niche. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of on the best way to um, building a really great product there. Um, now there are two kind of scenarios, and one is if you're kind of into it, but you don't know too much to it um, about it, um, then you definitely need to get more information because one thing that happens a lot is that people kind of assume that there's an issue, um, but people who are, you know, you might be interested in cars and you might think, oh, this is a very big issue in the car industry. But then when you go to an actual garage and you ask people that working there on cars, is this a problem? They might say no. Right. I've never had this problem. Um, so the best thing you can do is, is kind of go out there um, and talk to people and start with a problem and not a solution. So you don't want to pitch them, um, let's say, a, a platform for car parts. Um, you want to go there and ask them, hey, is it, is it a struggle for you to find these car parts, for example, right. cars, for example? Um, kind of build from there because maybe a marketplace isn't the solution. Maybe the solution is, is something simpler or something different. Um, and you really want to get a good understanding of the problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, yeah, if, if you build something for other engineers or other indie hackers or whatever, you can possibly just put it out on Twitter and people will share it and use it. And that doesn't happen in many other um, niches. So if you, let's say again, car salesman or car um, repairs, if you build something for that, um, you kind of need to go back and learn sales um, which right. is really really hard for developers but it's really not as intimidating as it seems um, so you want to get um, kind of this a little bit pushy i would i would almost say um, and start you know cold calling which is like in the dev- dev- developer community you would never cold call anyone <laughs> that's right who's yeah. doing that um, but the best thing is I, I read on india hackers like a few weeks back that somebody was um, building something for cars or, or something similar to that. And the best thing you can do is go to your local shops and show up there, for example, mm-hmm. or, or call them. And that's really the, the way that you get input from them. And you don't just build something blindly, uh, put it on Twitter, 
and right. maybe with chance somebody's in, is into cars and is going to use it um, but you always have to kind of customize your distribution channels for um, the audience you're building right. so for, for developers twitter reddit whatever is working fine and um, for somebody working in cars or somebody you know in sports or for example um, you might need to go actually out call them you know send letters even send emails things yep. like that yeah yeah that makes sense yeah, it's it's kind of a I've always thought of it as a bit of a unique industry that we're in for that reason, right? Like yeah, you can definitely you can make things for other developers and they're oftentimes interested and in wanting to use those products like when they're very early, right? There's there's just this intrinsic sort of like special interest that we all have. Um yeah which uh which i think is unique um so so that's really cool I, i'd love to shift now to to chat about metrics and um mm -hmm. one thing in particular um, because i think a lot of us probably aren't really super well versed in metrics to begin with um for yeah. for any kind of business um but let's take the lens of you know technology businesses of of uh digital products um what have you because that's kind of what we're generally in and maybe if we could do like a little bit of a metrics uh, redux, just like uh, what are what are some of the important metrics that that are often measured in companies? Um, what are they all yeah. about? Uh, why are they important? What's your if you if you've got like a kind of top metrics list that you like? What what would that be? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm definitely not an, an expert in metrics. I think there are other like startup gurus that know way more. Um, right. But yeah, I, I got my feet wet a little bit into that uh, with that. Um, so, you know, if you're building your project and you kind of want to see how it goes, um, you would want to look at like daily active users and monthly active users. That really depends on the app you're building. Uh, but maybe you're building something you would like people to go every day. Maybe you, you know, want something that people go weekly. Um, but you should kind of track that time span and see, you know, you might have 10,000 registered users, but how many of them are dead? Um, and how many of them are, are checking back every week. And that, that weekly active users or daily active users, that's the number you should report right. um, when you're talking about this. Um, the other one is churn, um, which means um, churn is basically the percentage of people, kind of of your customer base, how many people left or canceled their subscription this month. Right. Um, so, you know, if you have 100 people on your app and five people leave or cancel their subscription you have a 5% churn that month. Right. Um, and you kind of need to, to look into that um, because that you kind of need, need to figure out why are people churning. And the thing is, if you want to grow your app, that's kind of the breaks um, mm -hmm. that you have always on. So you can go out and, you know, do, do ad campaigns and pay for ads and get a ton of people in. Um, but if your churn is high, you're kind of wasting all that because people are leaving the app and you need to figure out why. Right. Um, and then the, the, the one, the other thing that I kind of got into a lot is the acquisition funnel. Um, and funnel is kind of this word you get thrown around in like marketing. And, and if you have had a business class ever, that's one of the, the uh, words you often hear. And it's a word that I don't really like, um, but <laughs> I've heard it so much now I need to like it. Right. Um, but basically, you know, a funnel, um, kind of starts wide, um, and goes more narrow towards the end. And at the end, you have a, a really kind of narrow stream, um, and you can can kind of imagine that as um, your leads or, or customers or users pouring in at the top, and then coming down in a more narrow stream at the bottom. Um, and in a normal funnel, you know everything you pour in at the top kind of comes out one to one at the bottom. Right. Um, but when we talk about kind of startup or product metrics, um, that funnel is leaky. So at every step mm. in the funnel, people are kind of dropping out. Right. Um, and kind of the most important takeaway from my adventures into metrics land is um, that you need to visualize that funnel and kind of really get on top of that. Mm. Um, so you need to, to figure out from kind of pouring on top um, when people visit your site, how many steps does it take till they are able to give you money and at each step, how many people drop out? And right. there are, you know, a ton of products for that, like Mixpanel, um, and there are a few other um, kind of smaller alternatives to that too. Um, but in my case, for example, I had seven steps from visiting the site to giving me money, and that's hmm. a ton, kind of a ton of steps um, that and everybody what, needs to go through. What are those steps? Like, what 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 would count as a step, for example? 
Yeah, so um, somebody visits the site. So, so I think um, steps are usually like page visits okay. um, or actions that people take. Um, so for mentor crews, somebody visits the site, somebody enters the search, somebody um, goes on, on search page two, somebody finds a mentor, looks at their profile, somebody clicks the apply button, somebody needs to go through two steps of forms and then they're able to give me money. Hmm. Um, and you kind of need to visualize that. And what you'll see um, is once you follow one specific user, how far in that funnel do they go? So do they look right. at a mentor and then click away? Or do they click on the form and see that there are too many fields and then click away? Right. Um, and that's what you're seeing with this funnel. Um, and that's your, your um, conversion rate from stop to finish. Um, how many people who visit the site are finishing the funnel and giving right. you money or signing up or whatever your, your kind of goal is. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's something that you really, really need to get behind if you're serious about growing a product. Um, because at every step that people leak out, it's kind of a waste of energy and time for you as well. Yeah. So again, if you're you know buying ads, if you're going on Reddit and posting a lot, if you're writing a blog post every day, if you have, let's say, a conversion rate of 2%, that's 98% of people who visit your site and don't buy. Right. Um, versus when you optimize this near the conversion rate for, of 8%, that's with every 100 people that visit your site, that's six more people that buy. And that's kind of a huge difference yeah. as you scale up and get more people on the site. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the main metrics that even if you're not into metrics at all, I would really look out yeah. for um, and see if you can optimize them. Yeah, makes sense. The and the article that you wrote recently talked about how the consensus almost might be that well, if you're working on a small project and if it's early stages, maybe metrics don't really matter that much. But your your view is that they actually do matter uh, even for for smaller projects. Um, and it sounds like a lot of the reason for that is because you want to tell early on if there's traction, and you know these metrics are the way that you determine if traction is, is happening. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think there are also kinds of false alert. If you have nobody signing up, for example, you might think, oh, there's no traction, but maybe there's one point in your funnel that's just horrible and 50% of people are dropping out. Right. And once you fix that, maybe people are coming through and they're starting to sign up and are really having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and you know, you might have killed the whole project just because you didn't look at that funnel earlier. So when we, when you think about like the, funnels that have a lot of steps as you had uh in in mentor cruise right you had like seven steps yeah um right. is it just like is it just a factor of it being kind of like uh, a, a not so great user experience maybe a, a user experience that has friction is that is that the reason that people don't kind of complete to the end of like the payment process or is it something else than that i just wonder if like you know if you're going to an application and you're like oh i really need this um then are are you not willing then to kind of just trudge through those forms that you need to get through? Um, I just, I, I guess I, I've always wondered, like, is it really the case that like, it's so it's such a fragile thing, this whole like journey from a user going from the top of the funnel to being a paid customer, that even like a, you know, a, a bad user experience would just have them kind of quit halfway through, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, definitely. That makes sense. Um, and I, I think in a lot of, um, you know, if, if you kind of have a, a low step, low friction thing, I think it, it doesn't matter. Like you don't need to be like the big startups that optimize the conversion funnel from 8.5 to 8.7. Right. Um, the big thing that you need to look out for is kind of these big drop offs, uh, drop offs in the funnel. Um, and let's get back to mentor cruise. For example, what I had there is um, when you look at a mentor and you pick somebody and you click apply, um, what happened is I had that kind of authentication required thing in there. Um, right. So what the first thing that would come is like sign up, um, give me your email, give me your password, and people sign up and give your email a password, and they get redirected to the um, you know validate your email form, and then they're kind of getting dropped out of the funnel. Right. Um, and the, the way that it works now is when you click apply to a mentor, they fill out the whole form, and then at the end. Uh, we asked about the email like in the first step and at the end it just says you know give me your your password that uh, password that you want to use um, hmm. after and people put in their password and then the application is done and it's just kind of you don't you don't want to have blockers in your funnel 
um, because that's even if somebody is super engaged if you throw somebody out of the funnel yourself um, you know by, by uh, giving them a bad link or um, you know doing a weird redirect or something um, that's something that you will see in the funnel because you'll have a super super hard drop off at that point um, and that those are things that you need to um, look out for right um, and then there's one part which is user experience for sure if you have like a 20-step form or something and somebody just wants to fill it out very quickly or you say it'll just take two minutes and then there are like a hundred form fields right. um, that's something you'll see again that people say oh I don't have time for this I'll do this later and they never yeah. come back um, and then the, the last step is also um, in my case the payments are not as straightforward as like an S uh, SASEP, for example um, and they are consumers so um, they are kind of worried about their money as well yeah. So um, in the end, I just had like a, a, an email that triggers that says, hey, your mentor has accepted you. Please set up your payment now. And a lot of people didn't go through there. Um, and what I figured out now is that I added kind of a, a very short FAQ. Um, it's usually very contextual um, to that payment form. It says, hey, why do I need my, to have my payment now? Mm. Do I get charged or do I have a trial? You know, what happens once I fill it out? Can I cancel? Um, and kind of that's, you know, kind of these high touch points um, mm -hmm. where you want somebody to enter your credit card, for example, uh, which is kind of this very, very, um, yeah, crucial point. Right. Um, you really want to to nail the user experience there because if somebody's not a hundred percent sure, if somebody, um, you know, doesn't isn't really comfortable with adding credit cards to something or something like that, you really want to. Um, be very high touch there, add context, add right. kind of frequently asked questions. Um, also, give an, give an option to, to contact support or something like that. Right. Um, because else, of course, you know, I, I had throughput before, and those people who said, I really need a mentor, so I'm going to go through all those steps and I'm going to finish it. Um, but the, the reality is that those are maybe like 10, 20% of your users, and the other 80% need. Um, some confirmation need a little yeah. bit of, of hand holding um, and sure you're getting throughput but you could get five times the throughput if you nail the funnels probably yeah yeah definitely so i mean those are some those are some like things that are sensible i think to have as part of the payment step is like you know answering questions that users are probably going to have Right. give um, g like right there give like a how, how to get in touch with support essentially w is there anything though like those are kind of maybe some standard things you can do is was there anything in, in your case for Mentecruz that is like particular to uh, the app itself or like the experience itself or or gen like can you generally just like use those kind of um, standard types of user experience uh, things in your payment step I guess what I'm wondering is like should people be looking for things that are specific to their app to build into that payment step? Uh, do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, um, I mean, I think most yeah most things are general, um, but it's just you know if if you don't go through those flows every week, yeah. um, as a product builder, you might just overlook that and say, oh, it's fine. Like people will will know what to do, yeah. um, and you can really just see in the data that people actually don't know what to do and are dropping out there. Um, I, I think in all chains that I did, nothing had to do um, like very specifically with Mentor Cruise itself. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the biggest changes where you don't want to have like a, a block um, where you want people to like add an email and password when it's not really time to do that. Yeah. Um, that's one I, I see quite often when, when you know, I think uh, Bear Metrics does that. Um, where you go onto a say, uh, page and they say, look at the demo. And when you click the demo, you have like a clickable thing that you can actually try out and play around with. Yep. And a lot of um, kind of new sites say, look at the demo or try the app out. And then they ask you for your name, your first name, last name, your company, right. your, your company size, your email, your password, um, sometimes even your credit card number. And that's not really the time um, to do that and you'll yeah. see that in the data that people go there and say wait I, I don't want to give you my email yet I'm just not ready yeah um, I'm going away so um, so that's an interesting one because I think you know like the argument would then be well if you do it the bare metrics way where you give someone a demo to look at and it's just like a 
freely visible demo, you don't have to give any information up, then how do you actually follow up with people? How do you kind of entice people to come back or to eventually get to be a paid customer? Um, so if you're, mm -hmm. if you're to go with that uh, setup UX wise, do you have any recommendations as to like what you could do to like get in touch with people uh, or, or, or follow up in any way? Um, if it's more of an anonymized visit to a demo? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, for, for on one side, um, I think that demo becomes part of the funnel um, for some reason. So, um, you know, on Mentor Cruise, you could filter for mentors and apply right away. Um, mm -hmm. But what I saw in the, the funnel is that what most people do is go visit um, like the mentor pages and visit 10 mentor pages and then kind of continue the, the, the funnel from that. So mm -hmm. the, the same thing that you would do um, in like bare metrics, for example, is you, you're on the, the demo. How many people go from the demo to like the sign up form and actually sign up and, and set up their site? Um, and obviously on, on the demo, um, you would have like a call to action again. You would say, hey, let's do this now for your own site or for your own project. How many people actually click on that button and how many people drop out? Right. And the chance are, um, what, it needs a lot more research, of course. Um, but if people look at that demo and it's like a fully fledged product demo and people don't click, I want to do this for my own site, chances are they just weren't interested yeah. um, and you don't need to really follow up at all. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a bunch of things you can do to capture emails, but sometimes, you know, emails are just as worthless as like an anonymous visit. True. Um, so you need to figure out whether it's a misunderstanding of the product, in which case you really should kind of follow up. Um, but for something like bare metrics, you're seeing this beautiful dashboard of your, your Stripe income and everything. I think people who use Stripe and who want to see those stats get it, and they will click. Let's let's get this started, and mm -hmm. you know maybe there's a free plan. I'm not sure, and just kind of set it up. Um, but you know if you see like a sixty percent drop off, drop off, um, those sixty percent, the majority of them will maybe not even know what Stripe is or not know about those metrics or whatever, and just leave, and you don't really yeah. need to to follow up. But that's that yeah, always always contextual, of course, and always very specific to projects. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What's the so like thinking really practically? What what are some tools or ways that you go tools you use or ways that you go about uh, measuring these things? Right. So if you want to be thinking about looking at where people drop off, uh, where <clears throat> people get you know bounced out of the funnel or leaked through the funnel, whatever, uh, what do you do to to measure that stuff? Yeah. Um, so one tool I initially used was Mixpanel. Um, which you know lets you add like this JavaScript snippets to your page, and then you just say, say something like mixpanel.track and give it a name. So that you put kind of at every step of your app, um, and then you'll see how many people come in, um, where do they go. You can kind of specify a goal from this to this, where which path do people take. It's actually quite nice. Cool. Um, the only thing is that their pricing is crazy for indie hackers mm. or for kind of small startups. Um, so one thing that I'm trying right now is Applitude.com, um, which kind of has the exact same um, concept that was even able to just replace Mixpanel track with Applitude track um, and do the exact same thing. Um, it's just a little smaller um, and has some, some nicer pricing. Um, so there you would say, you know, people start when they visit the homepage, for example, people end when they come to the payment page. Um, what's the, the most popular track? What's the least popular track um, that people take to get there? Um, yeah, kind of wh where do people go to get to that goal? Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing that I set up is full story. Um, and I think Hotjar is another tool that does the exact same thing um, where you would kind of record um, what people are doing and all the data is anonymized and, and kind of uh, not really recorded and just kind of the mouse is, is recorded, yeah. the mouse movement. Um, and there you would see, um, for example, where do, you know, the funnels are great, but if you look over the shoulder of somebody, where do they actually click? Hmm. Um, and you'll see that maybe, you know, maybe in your navigation bar, one, one navigation item is super confusing and people always click there even though there's nothing to see. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe rethink that or 
you might see that, you know, even I had one or two cases where a button or a link was broken. And full story had this tool called Rage Click, I think. Rage Click. Um, so just when people like click 10 times on something, um, it records that Rage Click. And that's usually like a link that's broken or right. a button that's broken. So yeah, Mixpanel and Full Story are kind of the two tools I use to first visualize the funnel and then actually see live what our people are doing and where is my user experience off so that people get confused and are leaving that mostly. Gotcha, okay, well, I'll link those up, thank you. Um, so metrics uh, sort of for smaller projects, we talked about some of the important ones. Um, are there any others, or actually before we go there, um, let's talk about maybe like churn for a second. Um, mm -hmm. Churn's an important metric to keep track of because you wanna know how many people are leaving your app uh, every month or however often you're you're measuring it. Um, I guess my question would be is like, there must be some measure of churn that's like anticipated or that you should expect if you're, if you have a product, right? Like you, you've got to expect that there's going to be some attrition in, in, in one form or another. Um, are there any sort of like guidelines for how much churn is too much such that your app doesn't seem to be doing so well? Or is it more kind of like case by case, uh, more of a case by case basis? Um, I guess I'm wondering like, how do you know churn wise if you're doing okay or if you're not? Yeah, um, so I think it really depends on the project, but there are certain categories. So if you're running kind of a B2B um, SaaS project, your, your churn should be virtually zero because if some if a business is leaving your app, there's probably something wrong. Hmm. Um, or, or you know, somebody has been unsatisfied by your not not something wrong, but somebody was uh, unsatisfied. So what's what's going wrong? Right. Um, so what I know what B two B SaaS projects are or products are always kind of gearing towards is negative churn, um, hmm. where the people leaving the app are kind of taking less value away than people upgrading um, or I adding. See. Yep. So you don't have new people coming in, you have people upgrading their subscriptions and um, the growth from that alone is bigger than the churn. Right. Um, so that you don't really, you know, you, you wouldn't even need to get new people in um, and you would still make more revenue than before. Um, so that should really, really be pushed towards like the lowest that you can. Um, what that exactly is um, really depends on the app. Um, it can be one, two percent, for example, um, mm -hmm. for, for kind of growing apps. Um, obviously, at the beginning, it's always more um, because you kind of you're building something. It might not have all features that people need. Um, you need to test out the pricing. Um, so you, you'll have more people leaving. Um, but I think at that point, it's also um, something good because with every person who leaves, um, you kind of get this new piece of knowledge. Mm -hmm. what what went wrong and what do i need to to make better um for consumer apps it's usually always or paid consumer apps specifically it's usually always a little bit higher um for me i think i pushed it down these days to like five percent um but i think i mentioned in my um in my post that it was before like eight or nine percent right, uh, it was okay. quite heavy like ten percent of the people that are subscribed are leaving the app again um, and when I looked at kind of the reasons why people leave, it's usually a pricing issue. Hmm. Um, and you know, the pricing isn't horrible. Like you can get a mentor for 40 bucks per month. Hmm. Uh, but for some people, 40 bucks is too much, um, especially kind of given the, the value that they get. So everything that is with consumers, you'll see, um, usually more people dropping out. You'll see more refund requests. For example, you'll see kind of more that revolves around money and that makes the churn go higher as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Um, how do you like when you're trying to seek out how or why people are churning and in your case, uh, there was some sensitivity to pricing. What's right. your recommended way of doing that? Is it that you follow up with an email after someone decides to leave? Uh, do you take like a, Kind of a survey question as they're canceling their subscription yeah. do you have any any thoughts yeah, on that i think a, a very well designed exit survey um, is something that every product should have okay. um, so you could you know you could add a button and with the click of a button it, it says are you sure you want to cancel and then they say right. yes and then they're out 
but it takes kind of as many clicks to give you a satisfaction score and you know a field hey tell us what we can do better or why are you leaving um, and then typing up a sentence and then saying okay I leave um, so I added that a while while back and kind of reiterated on it um, since then um, and now I know that there are maybe like five or six categories why people cancel so mm -hmm. I even added those just as a drop down so people don't even really need to type anymore um, and then people can choose hey just too expensive for me or hey my, my mentor wasn't good enough for me or i was expecting something different right um and then you're really really getting kind of quality data on what you need to improve on or maybe there isn't some anything to improve um and then you might need to go into expectation management or mm. just kind of adding that that churn as a baseline and trying to minimize everything else right yeah okay um what's your thought on so like if you're if you've got an idea for something you'd like to build and you want to do it, you know, lean, you want to, you want to make an MVP. What's, what are the like most important parts to focus on, uh, I guess, MVP wise before you go and test the waters with it? Um, I guess like what, what should you be fo focusing on and what, what should you just like not even really care about in the early stages? Uh -huh. um, I mean, first of all, I think before you even touch code, um, you should talk to somebody you're building for. Maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's, um, you know, somebody um, you just cold emailed. Um, but unless you're building something kind of that scratches your own itch, um, you, you should talk to one, two, three people um, that might have this problem. Um, and what you're getting from that information is what is important for them and what isn't important. And that should already kind of flow into your MVP. Um, and yeah, I didn't do that for Mentor Cruise, for example, and that's why I built a lot of kind of useless tools. Um, if I went and had some some talks with mentors and asked them, hey, what do you need to mentor? They would have told me, I just need a chat and a good payment system, and then I'm, I'm good. Right. I don't need a, a scheduling system and a mm. task management system and everything like that. Um, so that's already kind of your number one chance to cut down your MVP. And... Um, yeah, I think you should go into it um, without kind of any expectations on what you want to build. And mm -hmm. at least when it comes to features, kind of go from feedback from others um, of what other people find important um, and start with a, a feature set from that. Um, and what's, what you want to do at the beginning is um, you want to clearly define what is this MVP going to have and what is this MVP not going to have, right. um, you know, what, what's coming after. And one thing that I like to do is I never add anything to the MVP. I just cancel hmm. um, or take out of, of the MVP. Yeah. Um, and then you're, you know, if, if you're building pretty much for any niche, you can build something that people pay for with two or three features that are really, really well done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of look for the quickest way to get there. Um, maybe the solution to that isn't to code something. Maybe it's manual or kind of a no code thing yeah um where you know you leverage other um apps or other tools um to get that goal for you um i know that a lot of for example i, I think even this mentorship thing i could probably have built super super lean with like an email form where people hmm. say or I, I saw somebody building it that way um a few months ago where it's just a form that says i want a mentor and another form that says, I want to become a mentor. Right. And then in the background, he's matching up people in like an Excel or Google Sheets right. table and then sending <laughs> them up by email. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe your, your first MVP isn't kind of this nicely designed code platform. Um, and it's really just like the most crude way to do the task that it's supposed to do. Um, if you are going the way and you're going a little bit long term and you want to build something with code, um, what I would probably concentrate on is onboarding. I think that's super important when you're at the beginning stages because not everything might have proper user experience. Not everything might be super clear to the end user. So the best thing you can do is have a proper onboarding um, flow where you I record videos or you reach out via email to every single person who's signing up and just be sure that people understand 
what you're trying to do because in the yeah. beginning it'll look weird it might not have the best flows um, so instead of fixing all that and spending hours and hours and hours I would rather have some education and explain how everything's going until it's clear enough yeah yeah I like it I like it um, when it comes time like so your your approach being that you do a lot of different projects and you see which ones works which ones don't What's your approach then to deciding if it's time to kill a project? Um, if it's not, how do you know if it's not really working out? Like what's a, what's a, mm -hmm. I guess that, that threshold for you? Um, yeah, I don't have a, a fixed threshold. It's probably more of like a, a gut feeling. Um, but usually what's happening is that just nobody's interested in it and you can really feel that. Mm -hmm. um, if you, you know, if you have a project that people are signing up and it might not be there where you want it to be and people are dropping out and not signing up that's great um, because you know that at least there's some interest mm -hmm. if you even struggle to get people to visit the site so if you post on reddit and if you write blog posts and if you, you post everywhere and if you call people and if you email people and just nobody is even bothering to visit the site then i would just um, with some precautions i would just kill it yeah. Um, you know, it might always be that maybe the, the message is not right. Maybe um, something's just weird and people don't understand it. Um, but, you know, even if you have like the weirdest copy ever and a really bad landing page, if you don't get a single person to say, oh, that's cool, I want to try it, um, then I would just move further. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. Well, you know, that's uh, that's probably a good uh, place to start wrapping up um, for yeah. this chat. I, I really appreciate you kind of taking us through all of that stuff. That's it's stuff that I'm interested in, but haven't paid enough attention to. So um, it's been <laughs> great to hear about uh, how it goes from someone who's in, uh, in the thick of it. Um, before we do go, though, how can people check out your projects? Where can they find you online? What, uh, what can people do to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, so the best way to get in touch with me and see what I'm building on is Twitter. Okay. Um, I'm at DQMON, that's D-Q-M-O-N-N. Um, I have a website, a little personal blog, that's D-M-O-N-N.ch without the Q. Um, yeah, I write blog posts every few weeks. Um, I have links to all my other profiles and to my email there and also send out a newsletter um, every month. Um, so that's a really good um yeah, really good way to, to kind of stay in the loop. Okay. Um, and yeah, else check out mentorcruise.com if you're interested in mentoring others or um, having a mentor. Um, it's a really cool project that's growing and um, yeah, has a lot of great stories in there. Excellent. Yeah, we'll link all of that up. And I'm excited Very to nice. see where all of uh, all of your projects go. I'm, I'm uh, really excited for, for you, for Mentor Cruise and for everything else yeah, you're doing. So you. let's keep in touch and let me know how it's all going. Yeah, we'll do. All right, thanks. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 24 with Dominic Mon. You can find show notes with links to all the resources that Dominic mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking. Um.